0: The kingdom of God is His redemptive, His restorative, His healing, uh, returning to fellowship reign.
1: Welcome to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss everything from Reformed theology, cultural issues, and all things seminary. This is episode 79, and I'm your host, Jared Luchboer. Thank you for tuning in. Beginning today and continuing over the next couple of weeks, Dr. J. Mark Beach, Professor of Doctrinal and Ministerial Studies here at Mid-America, takes us on a doctrinal tour of the meaning of the Kingdom of God, where he'll offer a biblical sketch of what the Bible means by the Kingdom of God, outline some aspects of the doctrine of the Church as it relates to the Kingdom of God, and then look at how the idea of the Kingdom of God was manifest at creation and lost with the fall. Here's Dr. Beach.
0: What is the kingdom of God? In the Christian church, we often use language without always exploring the implications or even the direct meaning of phrases like that, the kingdom of God. And so we want to explore that, uh, well, actually in three segments we want to explore it, and this is the first of those, the good news of the kingdom of God. In the Gospel of Mark, the first words we hear from Jesus are, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Indeed, the kingdom of God, or in Matthew's gospel, especially the kingdom of heaven, constitutes the theme of Jesus' gospel preaching. The people of the Old Testament longed for the coming of the kingdom of God, I think uh, we see this theme uh, come to coincide with the coming of the Messiah uh, himself, this hope for the reign of God to be manifest in the world. And so when Jesus arrives on the scene, the gospel writers are very concerned with the coming of Jesus as Messiah, as a fulfillment of not only an Old Testament promise, but the arrival of this reign of God, this kingdom of God as present in his person. But that leaves unanswered what is the kingdom of God. Jesus himself gives us a portrait of its scope and reality. He once said, The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is he who takes no offense at me. That's in Matthew 11 where he says that. And these were signs or manifestations of this coming reign, this inaugurated reign of kingdom of God through him. Indeed, you can't detach Jesus from the fulfillment of this reign of God, this world-changing event, not only that Christ would bring a redemption, a liberation from sin, a freedom from bondage, a reconciliation with God through his work on the cross. But with that, he brings a healing and a restoration to the created order itself. He brings order from disorder, healing from disease. Uh, that which is broken, he mends. The despairing are comforted. And that's why he told the Pharisees in, in Matthew 12, for example, if, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This reign of God is manifest. It's a common uh, theme among New Testament scholars uh, to uh, explore this idea of the kingdom of God, especially in connection with the synoptic gospels, as, as they're called. And it's important that, as many of come to conclude that the kingdom of God depicts the reign or, or rule of God, I think it's important to add some qualifiers or some other words to help fill that out, such as it's the redemptive reign of God or a healing, restorative reign of God. A recent Reformed writer defines kingdom of God this way. It's understood as the reign of God dynamically active in human history, and active in Jesus Christ, the purpose of which is the redemption of His people from sin, from demonic powers, and finally issuing forth in the establishment of new heavens, a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, the same writer uh, continues, and he says it depicts the great drama of the history of salvation that has come about, that's been inaugurated, that a new age, a new uh, regime has been ushered in. That's not an exact quote, but that's basically what he says. And so you start to see that the kingdom must not be understood as merely the salvation of individuals, though that's at the heart of it, of course. But it, it includes this reign of God over the entire created universe. The entire created universe is created by him. It's his. He doesn't just hand it over to the devil and now it's yours. You can have it. No, he reclaims it. And so the kingdom of God is his redemptive, his restorative, his healing, uh, returning to fellowship reign. And all this is in and through and because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. So that's just by way of some basic definition As soon as you start talking about kingdom of God, though, you have people say, well, isn't the church simply the kingdom of God? And so it's important also to maybe briefly define and depict this idea of the church and its relationship to the kingdom. For example, when Jesus says in Luke 17, the kingdom of God is within you, he does not mean that the church is within you. And that's why most Reformed scholars, uh, acknowledging this intimate relationship between the church and the kingdom of God, uh, nonetheless distinguish them from each other. And this brings us to then ask about the nature of the church. And here I don't want to get too sidetracked, but briefly we know there's many portraits of the church. Uh, There are many metaphors, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ— the temple of God, the house of God, the building of God, the people of God, the sheepfold of Christ, the church is uh, ecclesia, it's, it's the called out ones from the world. And we know that the church, as that term is used in the New Testament, sometimes it refers to the collective unity under the one head that is Christ. Other times it's used very specifically for local congregations. For example, you know, the churches of Revelation 2 and 3, Christ's letters to the churches. And when we think about the church, we think about the long-standing confession that it's one holy Catholic apostolic church, one, it's one entity, it's holy, it's universal in its scope for all peoples, nations, tribes, tongues built on the apostolic authority. We know that the church is also referred to, at least theologically, as tabbing a visible form and an invisibility. Visibly is the church we deal with, we know, we're members of, and yet hypocrites can be mixed in with those of true faith, and thus there's an invisible character to the church, not only to God, because he sees the heart. And we have the, the the hope and the understanding that it's Christ who builds the church and who will secure it and finally, as his bride, make it something that is without spot or blemish. The church is further distinguished theologically between its militant character and its current battle to bring the gospel to the nations and live for God. And it's triumphant victory in glory. And so there's all sorts of different ways in which we talk about the church as the body of Christ, as the people of God, in the world, not of the world. And maybe another distinction that can be of help is the distinction between the church as an institution, where it takes up the work of bringing the gospel, administering the sacraments, making disciples— And that, the church under its office bearers and worship and the like, and also the church as an organism. And here we think more of the church not only as a communion and fellowship of God's people, but God's people dispersed out into the world because we don't spend all our time worshiping. We spend a good deal of our time also um, going about our different vocations and callings. So you lay that out, and what's the relationship then between kingdom of God and the church of God? Within the history of Reformed theology, the kingdom of God has been viewed as embracing uh, a variety of aspects of the church's existence. That is, the kingdom's a broader category, and the church falls within it. You might think of the kingdom like a wagon wheel and uh, the institutional church as the hub of that wheel, where the members are fed with the gospel and the truth of the Bible. But then think of that wagon wheel, dispersed out into the world, believers go forth like spokes on a wheel, and there they live under the lordship of Christ, under the reign and sway of their true king. And he's not a king of just hearts, in fact, of being king of the heart. He's king of every dimension of life, all its arenas, all its dimensions. Everything was made for Christ, from Christ, for Christ. And he comes to reclaim that which is his own. Now, this is all very important because we live, and especially since the Enlightenment, we've been living in a time in which the broader culture, that life beyond the worship service and Sunday has more and more been, been given over to the reign of secularism, the principles of unbelief in which religion and biblical morality is to be uh, squeezed out of and divorced from public life. And meanwhile, secularism is to have free reign here, to... Have its own way without contest. But that's exactly what Kingdom of God comes to do. It's a healing reign of God in all of life, uh, not only reconciling us to God, the reign by which we're under His sway, but because we're under His sway, His lordship, it matters in our marriage. It matters in public life. It matters in how we conduct our business. It matters in how we educate our children. It even matters with environmental issues and all sorts of things like that, how we view fellow human beings. It has all sorts of social implications because the reign of Christ in our hearts does that. Now, in attempting to answer uh, the sorts of questions that inevitably come up, we do well to return to this idea of kingdom of God and examine it a bit further. And we begin by noting that the kingdom of God Uh, is set forth in the biblical drama in terms of big epochs. In other words, you can talk about it in relationship to creation itself, in relationship to the fallen creation, and in relationship to a redeemed creation. Creation, starting there, is, of course, something God uh, accomplished out of his own act of love and freedom— and in his inner trinitarian fellowship god in his own perfect happiness but according to his own good eternal counsel in his strength and might and glory god creates the heavens and the earth god acts to share himself with that which isn't himself that which with uh, with which he's he's made that which he's made his creation the creature Nothing compels him to this, but in his own love and goodness, he's done this. He creates human beings, very specifically, fashioned in his image to act as stewards of his creation and to walk in fellowship with him. And here, with the very act of creation, we see something of the beginning, the intention, the purpose of kingdom of God, this reign of God here, not yet restorative or healing, but a reign of God to walk with God in fellowship, to live under his rule, to live for his glory, to walk in the happiness that follows, in knowing this fellowship with God, so that everything we do is encompassed, the whole width and breadth of life is service to God. There's no part of life at creation which is just say not God's part, not not intended for God. All of it's intended for God, intended for us to live before God's face in this way. This is all before the fall, of course. Um, but already before the fall, this reign of God in fellowship for blessing, for God's glory, is present. And so in this first epoch of human history before the fall, the creation in its purity— We see kingdom, well, maybe you can liken it to a bud waiting to come to blossom. It certainly isn't developed. You don't have a development of human society or even the development of the human race. But you already see the enjoyment and the privilege of living under God's rule in his domain for his glory and for our well-being. So this is the kingdom of God uh, if you will before the fall kingdom at creation waiting for something and that we know this all went sideways we know that uh, the fall has disrupted the good creation befouled his own image bearers we know we're, we're broken in, in all kinds of ways we don't have true knowledge of god we're not we don't walk in holiness we don't live under his his reign instead we're under the bondage of sin and the devil and creation is a In fact, creation itself is in a period of groaning, moaning, longing, as Romans 8 talks about, for the revealing of sons of God once more. So when you start talking about kingdom of God, you see in this first epoch, creation. But that which follows then is the kingdom of God in the fall. And there, the, the kingdom's under great contest, There, the kingdom is opposed. There, the devil now, there's a rival kingdom, a kingdom of darkness. Now, the devil seeks to foil God's good purpose, to uh, forfeit uh, all that's good about God's reign, to see that it doesn't come to manifestation. And uh, that's why now, under Satan, who's now the prince, the ruler of this world, Ephesians 2 and the like, Now we have a cosmos that's broken, a cosmos that's fallen, a cosmos that turns against its creator. Now we have this great contest of the seed of the woman against the seed of the serpent. And this is an all-out war. So important that we see now kingdom of God under contest does not bring the fruition and the blessing of its intent, but now a rival kingdom, a kingdom of darkness, would rule marriages, would rule education, would rule politics, would rule our own dispositions and desires, that we become idol chasers, that we wouldn't find life in God. A kingdom of darkness stands opposed to this kingdom of light, a seed of the serpent opposed to the seed of the woman. And it's not unless there is an attack upon the forces of darkness and a binding of the strong man, that the Lord can plunder his house. And that's exactly what Jesus comes to do and has done. Now, before we go further, it's necessary that we recognize an all-important distinction here, and that is that God is always king, of course, even when his kingdom's under contest. God has a kingship of sovereignty, a kingship of providence. He's always king in that sense. But when we're talking about kingdom of God in the Bible— in this sense, we're talking about a, now a, a kingship that serves God for communion and that needs redemption, that needs healing, that needs restoration. So we're, we're never denying God's sovereignty even when his, his kingdom's under contest. He's always king in that way, he's always the providential ruler of, of the universe. But that's different than than walking with God in communion and fellowship and obedience and offering yourself, being healed by him in Christ, offering yourself to him for service. And it's that reign of God that is the kingdom of God, where he is Lord not of a Sunday, but of every day of the week, not Lord of my devotional life, certainly that, but Lord of all my life that he didn't come to redeem me merely to go to glory, but to serve him for his glory in all that I think and say and do. So God, of course, never loses his sovereignty, his kingship of power, but he uses that same power now redemptively in a healing, restorative way to bring kingdom of God as the the gospels talk about the reign of God through the coming Messiah, through his work of redemption. And so this is a, a nice little summary. Uh, we haven't gotten to the third epoch of of creation restored, but we we see a basic outline here. God is always king, but now in Christ would reinstitute His healing reign through His Son for our well-being and for His glory. Next time, we'll look and discover how that kingdom reaches fulfillment in the epoch of redemption.
1: good start on our survey of the meaning of the kingdom of god as dr beach mentioned next time lord willing we will continue our discussion of the kingdom of god by examining how the kingdom reaches fulfillment in the epoch of redemption especially with the coming of jesus christ and what it means that the kingdom has come and is yet to come. For more episodes, you can find us on our website and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchabor. till next time.